Shay, mm. have you ever been to prison? There are many kinds of prison, Tim. Prisons of the mind, um, prisons of other people's expectations, cultural and societal prisons. I mean, have you ever been in the clink, locked up, in the slammer, behind bars, a guest of Her Majesty, inside, doing time? Well... Doing hard time. Well, uh, my secondary school had many similarities to a prison. I was held there for five years against my will, for a start. And there was an eight-foot fence all around the perimeter with the spikes facing inwards. Yeah, but have you actually been to actual prison? No, have you? That's a very personal question, Shay. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I suppose we'll just move on to our sponsor for this episode. Well, in fact... Today we are eschewing our usual sponsor advertising slot, and instead, we're doing a shout-out to hey. Cafe... <laughs> Thank you, Shay. We're doing a shout-out to Cafe Britannia, Woo. the cafe up at Norwich Prison on the Heath, run by Category D prisoners and serving excellent fry-ups, tasty cakes, hot tea and delicious dinners for a reasonable price in a cosy atmosphere with a superb view of the cityscape. I love it. You're great. Oh, thanks, Shay. No, I meant... I meant the guys at Cafe Britannia, Tim. Oh. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Pigshed, the podcast bringing you stories of Norwich inspired by its historical blue plaques. Now, we've been away for a little while, actually, um, for a reason. Tim! Tell everybody why we've been away for a while. Well, um, uh, one of our pigs was kidnapped. Yes. By a flock of marauding sheep. Terrible. And we were we were forced to give chase, and we pursued them across the wild fenlands of Norfolk, all all the way across Norfolk until until finally we had them cornered, just outside of Sheringham. Ah, lovely. And 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 we did for them. We did. Don't mess. Don't mess. And we had an ice cream, didn't we? That was nice. Yeah, we did, actually. It was, on the whole, it was a rather nice day. I'm a fan of the autumnal ice cream. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, as long as you've got a scarf and things, you're wrapped yeah, yeah. up, you know. Gloves. Yeah, it's nice. But yes, the sheep. Um, yes, we uh, we retrieved our, our wayward pig, and we are now sitting cosy in an almost entirely wool-lined recording studio. So, you know, well hard we are. Don't mess with the pigs. Just leave it. The theme of today's podcast is Elizabeth Fry, renowned prison reform campaigner and general flag bearer for basic human rights. Now, disclaimer, today's stories are not as free range as we'd normally like them to be. Timothy! Ow! Pointy! Uh, listeners, I have here the putative poking stick of inappropriate humour, and I'm not afraid to use it in an attempt to control Tim's puns and or tasteless jokes about prison. Pointy. Today's blue plaque commemorating Elizabeth Fry is located on the wall outside the Friends Meeting House on Upper Goat Lane. Liz Fry was born Liz Gurney in 1780 in Gurney Court, which is off Magdalen Street. Is she named after the building or is the, the building named after her? Chicken, egg, Tim. Liz was born into a Quaker family and she went on to campaign for, among other things, better conditions for prisoners. She set up the first ever night shelter for the homeless in London and she was the first woman in British history to present evidence to Parliament. 
This evidence was uh, on the topic of conditions for women and children in Newgate Prison in London and also British prisons in general. Yeah, but before all this, she was a bit of a party animal. <laughs> was she? Yeah. She waltzed about London, going to the theatre with members of high society, and she was easily recognisable by those purple boots with red laces she habitually wore. Oh, what a dark horse, eh? However, in her late teens, she ditched the snazzy footwear and became an altogether more serious and industrious human being, as you've already mentioned. Yeah, she did loads of brilliant stuff for people who were really in need of support, and she's totes on the fiver. Shay? Hmm. I will give you this fiver here if you promise not to poke me again with the poking stick of inappropriate humour. Oh, bribery, is it? This is a non-corruption zone. Elizabeth Fry's on the back. Elizabeth Fry's on the back. So she is. I'm confiscating this. It's my fiver. You can have it back at the end if you buy me a coffee with it. This is exploitation of power. She who holds the poking stick holds all the cards. That is just ridiculously unfair. That's life, Tim. Can I at least have a story? You may, though I can't promise it will be any fairer. It is less than a mile from Newgate to the docks. The journey in the semi-darkness of the prison wagon is little more than half an hour. Not enough time for Polly Greengrass to do all the things she needs to do. Shiver at the chill in the air, forget familiar faces unlearn everything she knows about home. Polly is a big girl, tall and broad, but prison has eaten her up. Nevertheless, the wagon is cramping her long legs. She stretches them out, rests them on the knees of the woman opposite. Mary, for this is the woman's name, opens her eyes long enough to glare at Polly, but makes no move to push her feet away. The hooves of the horse pulling the wagon strike suddenly on cobbles, and the juddering of the wagon shuffles the people within like a pack of cards. Polly rights herself, grips the edge of the wooden seat, tries not to throw up. Inside the wagon, everyone is silent, hunched close together. Outside, the sounds of mourning climb steadily. Voices clamour, laugh, jeer and shout. Something thrown hits the canvas side of the wagon, clipping Polly's elbow through the thick material. She grips the bruised spot, though her expression doesn't change. The shouting is pouring in on the wagon from either side. Another missile hits the wagon, this time catching Mary on the back of the head. Polly shuts her eyes and pictures the people outside, mentally removes the rocks and rotten food from their hands, pictures them lining the street and smiling, waving the wagon through. Goodbye, good luck, safe journeying. She remembers several things at once. A summer's day, long ago. Her father pushing her out onto a large pond in a little wooden boat, waving to her with his handkerchief a broken bottle on a stone floor, several pairs of white silk gloves. The crowd is deafening. Objects are raining down on the covered wagon. Someone thrusts a long, sharp implement at it and it rips the canvas, punching through to the interior, narrowly missing the woman next to Mary. The woman, who has been sitting in quivering silence, breaks into wild yells, struggling in the arms of her companions, calling out again and again that she didn't do anything, I didn't do anything, I didn't, I didn't. Polly moves over to help restrain the woman. She presses her face to the rent in the canvas, a confusion of bodies, people being moved on by men in uniform. Then, the glitter of water, the rising above of the bridge and the spreading out below of the greying Thames, the little black boat bobbing beside the rickety pier, and further out, a ship the size of a church, 
nestled on the swell. Shut up, Harriet, Mary is saying to the screaming woman. Everybody's done something. Don't really matter which they do you for. Polly is being pulled out of the wagon. She is being hustled up the gangway in chains. She is trying with all her might not to think of the little hands she pressed, the little head she held in the crook of her elbow, because this is not her future now. She will never see these sights again. She is packed into the dark, foul-smelling hold with tens of other women. The dank space fills and fills with frightened breathing, the smell of sweat, the gleaming of eyes. The little hands, the little head, the hungry little cry. The ship lurches and moves. Someone starts to sing an old song. Then the hatch is lowered and the little square of white sky blinks out. Thank you, Shay. That was very moving. Um, obviously, it's a story about transportation of prisoners, mm. um, which is a, uh, a sentence that um, many, many thousands of people suffered during the, uh, the 19th century. Yes, um, instead of being hung, or hanged rather, as is grammatically correct term, people were transported for life. Um, it was cheaper for the government than keeping people in prison as well. They just had to pay for their passage and that was it. And people were mm. transported for life for crimes as trivial as uh, stealing one shilling's worth of, of goods and cutting down a tree for firewood. That's mental. <laughs> Not mm. allowed. <laughs> um, yes, so these people were spared the death sentence but instead packed onto these uh, old naval ships known as hulks and uh, carted halfway around the world to Australia. Mm. Removed from anything they uh, ever knew was remotely familiar to them. Indeed. Terrifying. Of course, Australia back then had less surfing and fosters and more um, spider-infested labour camps. Mm course now it's it, it's actually a lot more difficult for brits to get into australia they've um they've rather turned the tables on us they have haven't they that'll teach us won't it <laughs> so elizabeth fry um one of the things she campaigned for was for the wagons transporting the women from prison to the docks to be covered rather than open to stop the women being assaulted by the crowds that would gather to sort of jeer at them um in that way that loving communities do. Yeah. Uh, so she did succeed in that, which was good. Uh, and she also, she set up lots of things called ladies' committees. Um, and these committees campaigned for changes in prisons, uh, particularly to do with women prisons. She also uh, had a habit of asking aristocrats to spend the night in prison just to see what it was like. <laughs> right. Yeah, not sure how popular that was. No, well, it's not your average sleepover, is it? No. <laughs> More rats, less hot chocolate and marshmallows. Um, but yeah, she also campaigned for things like uh, schools for the children of women prisoners because back in those days, if a woman was sent to prison and she had kids, they'd go with her if there was no one else to look after them. Kids of any age. Yeah, and people babies were born in prison obviously it's not a very it's a very hostile environment for a young young child to be in so i imagine the mortality rate was very high mm. um also i read that her diary was recently discovered or one of them in 2009 in northrep's hall ah. uh, i would love to love to have a read of her experiences i think she was a keen diarist and documented most most of her um, was, campaigns yeah. and things yeah did, did you ever keep a diary tim uh no yeah fair enough you haven't done done a huge amount of prison reform campaigning, have you? I haven't. No, certainly not enough to warrant <laughs> warrant maybe more than well, you know, like a flashcard. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Do you have a story of modern Norwich for us relating to this theme? I do. Excellent. Now is the hour. Uh, are we are we starting? Okay. Um, I, I'm doing all right at the moment. Pretty even keel. Uh, a bit tired today. Um, I, I was up, just sat up last night uh, after lock-up, just thinking. I'm usually one just to nod off as, uh, as soon as my head's on the pillow, but... And I sometimes I get I get a thought going round and round in my head. It's usually a girl. In fact, it's almost it's almost always a girl. Not absolutely every time. I mean, I do have other thoughts. I'm not just like a sex-starved con. Yeah, admittedly, this was a girl though, but but not like, you know, nothing lechy or anything. It's one of the the mums that come into the calf. She's like twenty-eight, twenty-nine. I don't think she's thirty. Small, kind of mousy, I guess. She's not one of them that comes in bunches, you know, the loud packs of yummy mummies come in for their weekly gossip, compare the kiddies and whatnot. She's usually she's usually just here on her own. Well, not on her own, She's she's got a kid with her. Tiny little baby. I don't know if it's a, it's a boy or a girl. Don't really know how you can tell at that age. The pram's blue, so maybe a boy? Might just be the, the only colour they had left in the shop. Anyway, she'll come in, park up the pram, and sit there holding the baby, just rocking it back and forth. Most times she, she comes in, she has a hot chocolate, uh, or a, a spiced latte, or something else that's not really coffee. She rocks the baby till it's fast asleep. She hums to it sometimes. Then, once the little one's off, she just sits there reading. She always looks dead content then, like she's she's out of all the noise, above it all. Come to think of it, she wears a blue scarf a lot too. Not the same one, but there's a few of them, like different patterns and stuff. Maybe blue's just a favourite colour. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, um, the last time she come in was with her husband, or boyfriend or whatever, I don't know, they're married. But I guess he's the dad. Uh, way he holds the baby, he he looks at it the same way she did. So they've got a table, uh, and there's a pot of tea between them. I, I'd not seen her order tea before. He's got the baby, and he's playing with it uh, on his knee, bobbing it up and down, making faces. The kid's blowing raspberries back and sort of laughing. I mean, babies can't really laugh, can they? But it's it's gurgling in what sounds like a happy manner. She's watching this, them. She's smiling and she laughs when he looks over. But there's there's something there's something going on behind her eyes. That's that's what I've been thinking about all night. Just trying to figure out what was going on with her. Cause it, it didn't seem like it wasn't angry or I dunno, I I don't know how to put it. She she was in the noise. She she weren't above it. And and this ain't just the, the clatter about the calf. What I mean is everything around her was, was still there. Same as it always is. Except when she's here normally. And I guess, you know, she's, she's happy to be spending time as a family with her fella. But it's not the same. Not the same... 
space. Does that make sense? I think the time she spends here alone, it it's a safe space for her. Like an... Ah, <laughs> I mustn't use that word here, must I? Else you'll have to flag it up. Well, you know what I mean anyway. I think... I think it's something worth having. A safe space like that. Something worth making yourself. Timothy. Yeah? That was a really good story. Oh, thanks. I really liked it and I'm going to listen again later. Cheers. I assume it was set in Café Britannia. Yes, yeah. Yes, in Norwich Prison, in fact. Yeah, it was. Did you come across any interesting facts uh, about Norwich Prison while you were writing this story? I did, yeah. Uh, some interesting folk have stayed there. Stayed there. <laughs> oh, how <laughs> have, been, have been guests of Her Majesty Indeed. at Norwich Prison. One of whom was Reggie Cray. No way. Yep, Reginald Tom Hardy in a suit, punching stuff Cray. Amazing. Oh, Tom Hardy was good, wasn't he? He, he did was well. very good. He did a good job. I well done, that, Tom. Yeah, well done, Tom. That was an awful film, though, but he was brilliant. Fair. Yeah. Reggie Cray spent the final years of his incarceration in Norwich Prison and was then released on compassionate grounds, hmm. spending a few months living at the Townhouse Hotel. Ooh. Mm, so, you can, so today you can still get a room... Where one of the Cray twins died in. You can. Oh, I bet that's real popular. Yeah, I don't know if it's that highly advertised. <laughs> yeah, I also, I actually, I must confess, I did some reading too. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, and another uh, famous lifer who served out the remainder of his sentence at Norwich Prison was uh, a Nazi collaborator. <laughs> wow. Who uh, actually, I, be I believe, remains the only person ever to be convicted under the UK uh, War Crimes Act of 1991. And at the time of his arrest in the 90s, he was working for British Rail, which <laughs> I, I feel says a lot about their core values. <laughs> Potentially, yes. <laughs> Can't afford to travel, gonna to call them a Nazi for it. <laughs> Seems fair, right? Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get sponsored by Greater Anglia now. No, but I need the money, I need the tickets, <laughs> I need to visit my family and friends, somehow. Okay, that's enough rambling. Let's, uh, let's get on. Indeed. So, thank you for listening to this episode of Tales from the Pig Shed. So kind. Join us next time when we'll be taking a dip with some fat characters in Norwich Hippodrome. <laughs> it's not... T Tim, there aren't really hippos at Hippodrome, Tim. That's not a thing. No? No. Nor are zebra crossings patrolled by helpful zebras, uh, and nor are cat burglars actual cats. Oh. Yeah. What do they do in a hippodrome, then? You'll find out next time, won't you? Goodbye. Hmm. Bye. Bye.